We have to do something about that walk-up music. I don't know. I feel like I'm in some, you know, Middle Eastern market, you know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I think. But, yeah. All right. I'll come up with something for you, Jeremy. Hey, welcome, everybody. Good morning. Uh, wherever you are out there online, wherever you are in the entire world, and thanks to the miracle of technology, we are being watched live all over the world. We have a congregation in Tanzania, Pastor Paphras and his group out there watching us right now. Hello to you guys. Um, I try to learn Swahili. It's not happening. So welcome. He can translate for me. But um, glad that you guys are here. Um, anybody else other than me experiencing just a whole bunch of little pokes and attacks and garbage from the enemy today? It's, so it's not just me? Good. When I woke up this morning, the sun was shining, the birds were chirping. I'm like, this is a great day. And something in between the time of waking up and getting dressed and driving into church, man, the enemy just starts pounding away at you. And that's what he does. He's kind of a jerk. I don't know if you know that. But we are here celebrating the risen Christ. We are celebrating a good God. We are celebrating a guy. If you listen to the lyrics of the songs that they were singing, it was just penetrating right into my heart. What a good and faithful, loving God that we have. And that's who we serve. So the enemy can throw whatever junk he wants to at us, and he will, but we win in the end. I read the book. And it's a good book. It's a good book. Hey, welcome, everybody. Um, we got a message, another, another in this series of messages. Now, this is the only, the third one in our series. The series is called One Church, One Mission, One Jesus. Um, and I've just been loving digging into Paul's letter to the Ephesians. By the way, if you're new here, uh, maybe just visiting the first time, welcome to you. Um, we might teach a little bit different than you might be used to. Now, hopefully, if you came for the first time, maybe somebody invited you and they kind of give you a heads up of what you might see. But if not, um, most of my message today is going to be in Greek. So, yeah. okay. And when I say most, I mean just a couple phrases. And okay. So now that I have your attention, though, um, we teach, um, it's called expositorily. We go through chapter by chapter, verse by verse in an entire book of scripture. And it's important to do that, I think, because anyone, and it's not all bad, but it's very easy to pull out individual scriptures here and there out of context and make them say whatever you want. Now, not everybody does that, but sometimes it happens. And so really, you can look at scripture or almost any book for that matter and make it say whatever you want it to say if you're just pulling out words here and there. It's one of the problems with our society and the sound bites that you get on the news. Anybody watch the news and you hear a sound bite and go, that's not at all what they said, but I just heard the words coming out of their mouth because they take a small little clip. When you teach the way that we teach here, the whole idea is you need to understand what's happening in context. So who was this, this scripture particularly written to? Now, generally, it's written to all of us, all believers throughout the ages. But who was that particular letter written to or that particular writing written to? And why was it written the way that it was written? And it matters for our understanding. So I'm going to go in depth into some scripture here. And I really hope that it just enlightens the word for you. 
that it literally illuminates it because that's what I feel my job is. My job is not to tell you how to live your life. My job is to make scripture plain and clear and make it make sense and let the Holy Spirit convict you on the rest. So, um, so let's get into it. We're taking a deep dive into Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. So we're going to be in the whole book of Ephesians. Right now we're still in chapter 1. And Paul's letter to the Ephesians is a little bit different. Paul, super prolific writer in Scripture, right? He wrote the majority of the New Testament that we see. Um, but most of the letters, which are also called epistles, um, were written for a reason. He wrote them to a specific church or a specific person for a specific reason, to help them with something maybe they were struggling with. And it's all incredibly valuable, but Paul's letter to the Ephesians is a little bit different. It's written to correct, maybe correct is the wrong word, to keep them on track. A whole church that's, that's just fine degrees of off course. They're not gone, they haven't gone terribly rogue. They're not doing anything crazy. They're just struggling to stay on course. And so he's writing them a letter. He talks about everything from from Father God to the Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ and our place in the church and who we're meant to be and just a big picture that I think is just wonderful. And so I love getting the chance to go through this. It's written um, by Paul while he's in in church, while he's... Oh, okay. Now, I was going to say prison, and I said church. Because <laughs> I see some of your faces like, oh, are we going to get free? No. That's, that's the enemy right there. Paul's writing from prison. It's actually house arrest, so it's not like, you know, some dank cell someplace. But he can't leave. The people can come and go. And so he's free to share the gospel. He's free to write letters. He's free to do all these things. And so he writes this, Ephesians 4, 1 to 2. It's, we'll study it in depth a little bit later. But he says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. He basically is saying, this is why I'm writing this to you. Now, he buries it four chapters in, so I'm not sure um, why he didn't just open with that. But it's important to understand accurately what he's trying to teach here. And it's more a preemptive strike against complacency, really, is what he's doing. And if you remember in the first week, to illustrate the point, in the first week when I opened this up, I taught about this disciple named Apollos. And the church... Paul founded the church in Ephesus as he was traveling through on all of his missionary journeys. But then he hands it off to this wonderful, mature couple, Priscilla and Aquila. He hands it off to them, and he continues on his journey. And the church is in good hands. Then this really well-meaning, charismatic, excitable, young, good-looking dude named Apollos comes. If your name is Apollos, you kind of have to be, right? But he comes in. And they're more than happy to just capture his zeal for the Lord and say, hey, help us spread the gospel. Help us teach all these people. And he does that. The only problem is, is that his picture of the gospel is just slightly incomplete. He doesn't understand. He's young in the faith, but he's so excited about it. But he doesn't have the full picture. 
um, most of his learning and most of his discipleship came under John the Baptist. So he doesn't know a lot of the later stuff that came on. He, he teaches mostly the idea of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, which is not wrong, but it's incomplete. And he doesn't teach anything about the Holy Spirit because he'd never Never really heard about it, never really was taught about it. So he doesn't teach any of that. So therefore, when Paul's traveling back through the country, he bumps into some people and, go, and he just says, hey, how are things going at the church? And they start having this conversation and Paul realizes these people have never even been taught about the Holy Spirit. They've never been taught the complete picture of what the gospel message is. <clears throat> so he says, okay, I need to... I need to write him a letter. So he ends up doing that. Actually, he ends up staying for a couple years to help get them back on track. But then this letter is just to help them stay in that place. Think about this. What would be some of the problems with your understanding of, of, of the entire Christian experience of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and the gospel message if you had never been exposed to teaching on the spiritual gifts? Or the Holy Spirit. No understanding of, of God's grace and mercy, and really kind of placing the idea of salvation back in the category of works. You need to repent, you need to do this, you need to do this, and then you will be saved. You would have a, not an entirely, it's not heresy, but an incomplete picture of what the gospel message is. This is what Paul's trying to fix. So, on those lines, and maybe some of you saw it, <clears throat> I probably spend too much time on social media, like some of us might. I, I envy you people who can just like, I just stay away from it. It's not for me. Because it can be a great tool, but it can, it can easily lead you astray. But earlier in this week, uh, I saw a post from a person who called themselves an expert, and on social media, you can call yourself an expert in anything. This guy called himself an expert, and what he said was Jesus did not pay the price for our sins. Are you sure? He said the term paid the price is not in Scripture at all. Okay, now... I Googled that real quickly because I'm like, nothing ever sits in a vacuum. When you see something like that, it's a trend or something. So I Googled that, and there are all kinds of people out there maintaining that right now. Jesus didn't pay the price for your sins. And the first thing that came to mind is in Colossians, when Paul's writing to the Colossians. Number one, the body of the New Testament all testifies to that fact. But listen to this, Colossians 1, 13, 14 for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All right, so that idea of redemption. Here's our first Greek lesson. I think I put it up on screen. Do we have that? <coughs> Excuse me. Redemption. In the Greek, it translates as apolotrosis. Okay, which is not some sort of gum disease that you can use a mouthwash for. <laughs> Sounds like it, doesn't it? Apolotrosis. 
the definition, a release affected by payment of ransom, literally buying back what was previously forfeited. That's what the word redemption means in Greek. So maybe it doesn't say paid the price, but if that isn't paid the price for your sins, then I don't understand any of this. The idea of predestination is another one. We talked about that last week, which is so often misunderstood, so often misunderstood that usually it's just ignored. We just will choose to not talk about that, kind of like politics, right? We'll just choose not to talk about that in mixed company. (laughs) But we saw last week, at least I hope you did, What a beautiful thing the idea is that God chose you, predestined you to adoption as sons and daughters of his. Not only before you were born, but before the foundation of the world. Think about that. We've heard the scripture, at least a lot of us have, about how he knew you when you were in your mother's womb. Okay, cool. Let's go back to even before he formed the earth, he knew you and he predestined you to adoption into his family. That is amazing. And then we talked about how the idea of both predestination and free will can coexist logically in God's kingdom. The idea was that human beings do have a free will, but those free will choices are informed and guided by your life experiences. No one truly has free will to make choices and decisions with no outside influence. No one really has that. The idea is what are you going to allow to influence your decisions? Is it going to be social media? Is it going to be the word of God? Is it going to be the club you belong to, the people you surround yourselves with? What is it that's going to inform your free will decisions? Okay, and... The way this scholar put it, uh, I'm just going to read it because I love it. He said, biblically speaking, we have the responsibility to respond to what God has revealed to us and allow that to influence our free will choices, including his call to accept the gospel. So I hope that that cleared up the idea of predestination versus free will for you at least a little bit because that's important. That's one of those things that can, that can uh, be used by the enemy to trip us up. So now, I want to get into this section's teaching. We're in Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. If you have your Bible, get it out. I use the New American Standard, NASB, um, and they're all just a little bit different. And when it is important, when it's important to understand the differences, I'll be sure and let you know. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm going to just keep coughing up here. Um, I'm going to read you a context verse. Now, I said we're in 7 through 10. And I'm going to read that for you, but I'm also going to read you 5 and 6 leading up to it, just so you can kind of see a flow of context here, okay? Uh, So Ephesians 1, 5 and 6, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, with which he favored us in the beloved. Now verse 7 through 10, in him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him. 
regarding his plan of the fullness of times to bring all things together in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, just reading that in context or listening to that in context, you're like, what's he saying? I'm not quite sure. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things there. It's not super straightforward, so let's get into it, okay? I'm going to take it apart verse by verse. Now, Matthew 20 says, the first shall be last, right? So in that, we're going to go to the last verse here. We're going to jump right to verse 10, and then we're going to work our way back through. Ephesians 1:10. regarding his plan of the fullness of the times to bring all things together in Christ, things in the heaven and things on the earth. Okay, so his plan. What's the fullness of times? Anybody know? Is that like the end of next year? the end of the political cycle, the end of your lifetime. The fullness of times he's referring to here is the beginning of Jesus' thousand-year reign, the millennial reign, sometimes you hear it called that. That's what he's talking about when he says the fullness of times. He's referring, which hasn't been written yet, but for us, Revelation 20, 1 through 4, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. Anybody ever read through Revelation? It's fantastic. If you haven't, do it. It's not scary. It's incredible. Verse 2, and he took hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. We'll talk... That's another discussion for another day. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast, nor his image, nor had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's what Paul is talking about here, bringing all things together in heaven and on earth, bringing all things. Think about that. So many things in the Greek or the Hebrew um, are gender specific. So you can read it, and with that word alone, you can know, well, he's talking about men, or he's talking about women. Oh, thank you. You can talk about, um, but but this word specifically is a gender-neutral word. And the gender-neutral word implies that it doesn't just mean people. It means all things. Just like it says, all things. It means literally everything on earth and in heaven. Being reunited together in one place without separation is what he's talking about. Matthew 6.10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he's talking about here. It's the restoration of the order that God intended from the beginning before sin entered the world. Scott, I love you. Thank you. But think about this. Mankind, angels, all the prophets you've ever read about, all the Bible heroes you've ever read about, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and Father God, all together in one place with no division and no separation. Walking the streets together. Can you picture that? Can you picture walking down the street and going, Hey, Gabriel, how you doing? How are the wings holding up? <laughs> All right. 
It's silly, but that's what scripture tells us happens. Maybe not the question about the wings. Peter gave us a hint into this. So it's not just an isolated, like Paul kind of refers to it. It's all over in scripture. If you look about it, if you look into it, that is, Peter gave us a hint that not only the prophets, but even the angels sought wisdom on how this was all going to work. Remember, angels are not omniscient. Only God is. So angels didn't even know how this was all going to work out. First Peter 1, 11 through 12. I want to read it to you just because it's interesting. <clears throat> Hopefully everything I read to you is interesting. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which have now been announced to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. So even the angels are trying to figure this out. By the way, translations do matter. I just want to point this out. Um, when we go back to the previous verse, um, Ephesians 1.10, regarding his plan for the fullness of the times to bring all things together. That word plan, um, where is it? The word plan could be, depending on your translation, could either translate as administration or dispensation. I don't know what version you've got, but it could be either. Now, dispensation is a whole nother topic in theology that people get divided about. This is not what they're talking about here. What they're talking about here specifically is that word translates oikonomia, um, and the definition is the stewardship of household affairs of another. Okay, so he's talking about Jesus being the one to look after all of God's creation until, until it could be returned to glory. Okay, but before that could happen, God's creation needed to be bought back from the debt that they had incurred, the debt of sin, the weight and the penalty of sin. That is what we're talking about when we talk about redemption. That's what redemption is. So... Let me ask you a kind of a rhetorical question. What would you do to be free of any debt that you currently have and any debt that you ever would have? What would you do? Probably a lot, right? You'd probably be willing to do a lot. It's both a problem and a blessing that you don't have to do anything for it other than say yes to the offer of Christ. Now, the reason that it can be anything other than a huge blessing is because our hearts, our human nature, our minds can't wrap themselves around the idea of anything being free of strings attached. Anybody else here have a problem when gifts are thrown your way, something good happens to you, and you go, okay, what's coming next? There's a but, there's a string attached, there's something, right? We all do it to some extent. I'm going to talk about more than in just a second. Now let's go back to verse 7, Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace. This was a great shift from the idea of how they had been thinking in the past, especially the Hebrew people, 
where redemption, where the price being paid was done through sacrifice. Okay, you sacrificed a lamb, you sacrificed a dove, you sacrificed all sorts of different things for different reasons. Going back to Leviticus 17.11, for example, it's just one. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. So back then, in those days, prior to Christ, atonement was paid for by the sacrifice of something else, by the blood, literally. And through Christ, then, we have redemption through his blood, and his blood alone. Many translations, by the way, use that word forgiveness of trespasses, which is where we get through a lot of the prayers that we use. Now, remember that verse I quoted earlier, redemption, apolytrosis, the release affected by payment of ransom. This is what's happening. The redemption bought you freedom from the earthly power of sins and the penalty for that, which is eternal separation from God. That's what that redemption bought you. So much scripture that talks about that. There's one, Isaiah 52, 59, 2, that is. But your wrongdoings have caused a separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear Anybody ever study the book of Job? Anybody with us when we went through the entire book of Job a couple years ago? Job's losing his family, losing his house, losing his livelihood, losing his health, losing everything that he had. Horrible situation that Job was going through. But his biggest loss, the thing that he lamented the most, was his fellowship with God. And that's what grieved him the most. After all the things that he lost, that was the thing that he grieved the most. Now, Paul puts an even finer, a more urgent point on it when he writes to the Thessalonians later. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 9, he says, For after all, it's only right for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted, along with us when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These people will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Yike. That's not where you want to be. But you can't buy it, work for it, Beg, borrow, or steal it. It's offered free according to the riches of his grace. Riches of his grace. An eternal, endless reservoir of grace. <clears throat> Verse 8. We're going to talk about this one. Which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. That word lavished, what comes to mind when you think of lavished? Uh, not just the bare minimum, right? Not just, not just enough to get by. If, so if you came over to some, say, hey, come over to my house for dinner. We're going to have a lavish spread. And you get there and it's bologna sandwiches and a glass of water. Like, it's not what I pictured when I thought of lavish, right? It's not the bare minimum. In fact, the word lavish um, comes from, it's an old French word is where the root is, lavash, which means a deluge or a torrent. It's referring to rain. A torrent of blessing pouring out to you. 
can you picture that? But again, who here doesn't get just a little bit nervous when someone's pouring out lavish blessings on you? Especially somebody who really has more reason to be upset with you than to be a friend of yours. Wouldn't you just be thinking like, there's got to be strings attached? I would. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him. All right, here's what this looks like. Um, He made known to us the mystery of his will. He does that. How does he do that? Holy Spirit for one, illuminating scripture for the other, right? But here's how this works. Gabe and I are studying through the book of Genesis. We're doing that just together. And the Lord revealed to me something that in all my study had never before occurred to me. And here, I I made this, I don't know where this goes, but I I went to all the trouble to make this little image for you. Illuminating, anybody ever read scripture, the same scripture you've read several times before, and now it says something different to you. It speaks something different to you. Or you see something that you have never seen before. Listen to this. This is the the story of Noah. It's in Genesis 9, 12 through 15. I'm going to read this to you and then point something out and see if if it says this to you. Now behold, I myself am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you. This is God speaking to Noah. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every animal of the earth with you, of all that comes out of the ark... Every animal of the earth, I establish my covenant with you, and all flesh shall never again be eliminated by the waters of a flood, nor shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. Verse 12, God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that's with you for all future generations. I have set my rainbow on a cloud And it shall serve as a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I make a cloud appear over the earth that the rainbow will be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of the flesh. And never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. All right. Think about the story of Noah. Is there anybody here who doesn't at least have a cursory understanding of the story of Noah? Most of us do, right? Noah and his wife and his, and his children had never seen rain before when the floods came on the earth. They had never seen rain before. The first time Noah and his wife and his family see rain, it floods the earth and wipes out everything. Think about that. It's not something you typically think about. Genesis 2.5, the Lord God had not yet sent rain upon the earth. The earth was watered by springs that came up, by mists that hovered over the ground. It had never rained before. So at this time, any rainfall, can you imagine? Okay, Noah, the, the ark hits Mount Ararat. And the waters start to dry up, and the dove and the raven come back, and, and Noah's like, okay, I think it's safe to go outside. And they go outside, and they see the waters receding, and he feels a raindrop. Everybody back in the ark. <laughs> Wouldn't you think that? I mean, human nature, right? Any rainfall, especially torrential rain, would have been terrifying to Noah and his family. Because the only other time they saw it, it flooded the earth and wiped out all creation. 
But God established his covenant with Noah, and the rainbow was a sign that when God's blessings pour out to you, because rainfall is meant to be a blessing, it gives life. And when that pours out, don't be afraid of it, even if it's torrential, because it's meant for your good, and it's not going to wipe out the earth. Could this be one of the reasons why the devil is trying so hard to co-opt the symbol of the rainbow? I tell you, even for me, I can't watch a television show and see a rainbow painted on a child's wall in their room without going, oh, there's a rainbow. Oh, wait, okay, it's just, a, it's just an innocent rainbow. The enemy is trying so hard to co-opt those things that God intended to bless us. We can't let that happen, guys. We can't let that happen. And instead of thinking of God's blessing and covenant, I think of sin and darkness when I see that. So how does this all relate to the scripture? Let's get back on track here. Ephesians 1.9, he made known to us the mystery of his will. God reveals us his will, the mystery of his will through scripture, the Holy Spirit, and other believers. That's how he does it. That's why we gather here together. And study the word. 1 Corinthians 2, 6, 7. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before all the ages to our glory. According. Predestined before all the ages for our glory. Before all all the ages, before time even began. This was predestined to give us instruction on how to live on this earth. It's according to the plan and purpose set in motion and fulfilled by Christ Jesus. So this is the good and the lavish gift. Remember, lavish, pouring out, torrential, torrential rains, just pouring out. It's the good and lavish gift of the Father, embodied in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And not only made available to you, but specifically chosen for you before the foundation of the earth. It still blows my mind to think about that. An acceptance of this gift, this good and lavish gift that he wants to pour out onto you, will lead to a full restoration of everything that God has ever wanted for you, everything he ever had planned for you, including a place at his table for all of eternity. That's what's at stake here, just accepting that. I found this image of a torrential blessing. This is what I picture. It's just pouring out. And all you need to do is just enjoy it. Enjoy his blessings. Don't question it. Don't doubt it. Don't think there's somehow a string attached because that's what the devil wants you to think. And if that's not something worth accepting, despite, despite all of our reservations about what a torrential outpouring of blessing would do to our busy schedules. I mean, who's got time for that? I don't have time to be blessed beyond belief. I've got plans. If that's not worth accepting, then I just don't know what is. But I hope and pray that as you read through that, study that scripture on your own. Go home and read through those things with an open 
mind to what the Holy Spirit wants to illuminate for you because it's going to be different than what he illuminated for me. And it's going to bless you. And if it does anything other than bless you, there's something else influencing your thoughts. So let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful that you put your word out there from the beginning of time knowing that we would need a roadmap to survive this life. Knowing that we would need help to stand against all the lies that were going to come our way. Knowing that we would need a way back to our seat, our place at your table. Father, you have redeemed us through your son, Jesus Christ. And I just have nothing but a grateful heart for your blessings just poured out torrentially. I don't have to look very far in my life if I really think about it to think of the blessings that you have poured out for me. And so, Lord, I repent of any of those times where I've gone through a day saying, poor me, poor me. Look at all the things that are happening to me. God, you are good. And Jesus paid the price for me. I accept that. And I will go through this life being a reflection worthy of who he says I am and what he did for me. So, Father, I love you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to take communion right now. If you're new here or you're visiting, we invite you to take communion with us. All you need to take communion with us is to say yes to Jesus. If he's your Lord and Savior, then I invite you to take communion with us here today. The way that we do it here, we'll have two stations, one over here and one over on this side. Um, and there we have wine and bread and gluten-free crackers, and you just dip it in, and you, can, and you can take it that way. Or if you prefer to serve yourself or prefer not to have alcohol, in the back we have a station by the door that's grape juice, and you can serve yourself back there. But we'll just form lines down the middle and come this way. Um, but let's do it with grateful hearts. And I urge you to, as we do that, listen to the lyrics of the songs that they're going to be singing. Just think about, think about who you are, not who Christ is to you. Think about who you are to him, who he says you are. And if that doesn't give you a grateful heart, I don't know what will. Thank you, guys. Bless you.